Welcome back to the Real Women's Health Podcast. Today's episode is about minimally invasive gynecology. Did you know that your gynecologist is also a surgeon? Gynecologists specialize in minimally invasive surgical techniques to treat pelvic pain, fibroids, and heavy periods, among other conditions. I'm excited to introduce you to Dr. Denny Goulet, a board-certified obstetrician gynecologist, or OBGYN, at the Everett Clinic in Everett, Washington, just north of Seattle. Dr. Goulet specializes in minimally invasive gynecologic surgery, such as laparoscopic and robotic surgery. We discuss why anyone would need a hysterectomy. Can we use robots to remove your uterus? What's removed during a hysterectomy? And are there non-surgical options instead? We discuss these topics and many more, so stay tuned for our episode number nine, Minimally Invasive GYN Surgery with Dr. Denny Goulet. Why do I have this T-shaped uterus? Excellent question. The vagina is a powerful machine. A vagina is glorious. glorious. And it's entertaining and fun, too. Because I know what's inside of girls like you and like me. Now it is time for the physical examination. Let's go take a look at your Volvo. Well, that's when we take a new baby out of a lady's tummy. Your symptoms sound hormonal to me. I'd like a second opinion. This seems very questionable. I'm Dr. Kristen Rojas, and this is the Real Women's Health Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Real Women's Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Kristen Rojas, a board-certified gynecologic surgeon and fellowship-trained breast cancer surgeon. And today, I'm very excited to have my good friend and colleague, Dr. Denny Goulet, on the show. Denny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. Pleasure to be here. I am thrilled that you're here all the way from Washington State. Yep. Uh, hopefully at some point you and Delaney and Stella will come visit us in Miami and maybe we can do a follow-up to this in person. But I think alas. that sounds wonderful. Absolutely. Some beach time. Yeah, exactly. Everyone needs you're probably vitamin D deficient, so it's time. Yeah. Definitely. So Dr. Goulet is a board certified OBGYN. He went to undergrad at Boston College, got an MPH in health policy at Dartmouth. He went to medical school at the University of Washington, and then he joined me at the best residency program in the world, Brown University Women and Infants Hospital, where we were co-residents for four years. Currently, Dr. Goulet is an OBGYN at the Everett Clinic in Everett, Washington, which is just north of Seattle. He provides full spectrum obstetrics and gynecology care, including low and high risk obstetrics, delivering babies all the way to GYN surgery, which is what we're going to talk about today, including minimally invasive surgery, including both laparoscopic and robotic surgery. So in addition to his clinical practice, he's also a clinical assistant professor at the Elson S. Floyd School of Medicine at Washington State University, helping to teach the next generation of Washington Washington State's physicians. So, yay! I'm so glad you're here. I'm so happy to be here. This is this is wonderful. I'm glad you do this. Perfect. So, Denny, as you um, may know, this focus of this podcast is to teach women who aren't in medicine about all the different roles that OBGYNs can have, and like when you see certain types of gynecologists or obstetricians. And so, I want you to tell us a little bit about the patients you see. But first, why don't you tell us why you got into OBGYN? Well, it's it's funny. I uh, did not expect to go into OBGYN at all when I uh, went into medical school, and 
you know, I, I was first exposed to it really widely during our third year when we rotated with some fantastic OBGYNs kind of in the central part of Washington state. And I saw this incredible relationship that they developed with their patients throughout pregnancies and over a lifetime and got to be a part of this really, really special time in people's lives, building their families, um, as well as, you know, taking them through difficult times and providing, you know, really advanced and, and specialized surgery for folks um, that can be really life-changing. And so you put all those things together and there's just nothing like OBGYN. I, I loved it and um, nothing else uh, could hold a candle. Yeah, I agree. One of the reasons that I was drawn to breast cancer care is for the same kind of continuity. You are the patient surgeon and then you end up seeing meeting them and their families and they're going through a challenging time in their lives, but then you also get to continue to see them and get to know them really well. So I totally get that. Yeah. And it's one of the, it's one of the things that I love about my job now is because I get to do all those things. I get to um, I get to see folks who are just newly pregnant. Um, we do the first ultrasound in the office and you kind of get that, that ah kind of awe-inspiring moment um, when you first see that little kind of flicker of a heartbeat um, all the way through, you know, um, doing deliveries and C-sections, um, as well as, you know, seeing folks who really maybe um, feel like they're, they've tried everything and maybe no one will listen to them and they're having, you know, horrible issues with, you know, really, really, uh, painful or heavy periods, and you can provide you know really life changing treatment, whether that's medicine or surgery, that that can have a huge impact on their lives. Yeah, I think that uh, one of the important points I want to convey to all the listeners is that gynecologists actually do quite a bit of surgery, um, like big surgeries. And so why don't you, and what, what I did want to focus on today is um, hysterectomy. Like what is a hysterectomy and why would a patient maybe want a hysterectomy? Yeah, sure. So I, I think there's a lot of, you know, my wife and I always talk about how important language is and how important words are. And we oftentimes in medicine use different words and kind of get thrown around in kind of public conversations. So when we as gynecologists think of a total hysterectomy, what that means to me as a surgeon is that means removing the uterus and the cervix. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with the ovaries. And so um, if someone has in our world has had a total hysterectomy, it means that the uterus or the womb is removed along with the cervix. Um, but the ovaries are still there. They're still producing estrogen, progesterone. They're still producing all the normal hormones. So people do not go through menopause with that. A, a partial hysterectomy, I would say, is kind of a more rare entity these days um, where someone maybe has the uterus removed, but the cervix left inside as well as the ovaries left inside. There, there are certainly indications for that, but uh, it's pretty rare. Um, and then having total hysterectomy along with oophorectomy, which is a ridiculous like medical word that no one can say or spell means removing the ovaries as well. And, and we do that from time to time, but it's also pretty rare. Yeah. I would like to just go ahead and make a plug to say that we completely abolished the word partial hysterectomy because it's very confusing. Patients come in and it means different things to different patients. Like, so for our listeners, if they've listened to our, my episode with Dr. Jenna Emerson about HPV and cervical cancer, we talked about what actually the cervix is. And the way I describe it to patients is like, if the uterus is an upside down wine bottle, then the cervix is the cork. 
And so I like wine anomaly, I mean, analogies, <laughs> analogies for everything. And so the cervix is actually the bottom part of the uterus that connects the vagina and the uterus. And so we typically always remove the cervix with the uterus when we're doing a hysterectomy and that makes it total. But what do you call it when you remove the fallopian tube? So there's another uh, medical word that is hard to say and spell, but it's called a salpingectomy. And so if you remove the fallopian tubes along with removing the uterus and the cervix, um, we have some really, really uh, great data that came out several years ago that actually reduces the risk of ovarian cancer for folks in the future um, without having any effect on hormones. So it's a really, really nice and very easy and simple thing to do at the time of surgery that can provide kind of long lasting uh, health benefits without uh, much in the way of you know risks or, or complications. Yeah, the fallopian tubes are already attached to the uterus, so might as well just take it all out together. And the reason that we say it decreases ovarian cancer risk is because fallopian, one of two reasons, either ovarian cancer may come from the fallopian tubes or that they're all kind of part of the same disease entity that um, is decreased when you remove the tubes. So, so if you have a patient who has their uterus removed, their two fallopian tubes and their two ovaries, what do you call that? So they've had a total hysterectomy bilateral, meaning both sides, salpingectomy and oophorectomy, which, you know, certainly there's, there's an indication to do that for folks who have cancer, um, or maybe have a history of, you know, significant, uh, ovarian cysts that are concerning or kind of, we call this borderline characteristic. So potentially could transition into a more aggressive form of cancer. Um, so it's something we do. Um, and, uh, we have to have you know, pretty significant discussions about it because it can have significant health implications moving forward, uh, increasing heart disease risk and osteoporosis, things like that. So weak bones. Um, but you know, for some people it is the right call. And so that's why, again, that's why I love my job so much because we get to have these conversations and figure out kind of what fits for every person. Yeah. And I just also want to echo what you said before that was right is that you know women don't go through menopause if you remove just the uterus although their periods stop menopause is actually when the ovaries stop working or the ovaries are removed and so even though we remove the uterus it doesn't necessarily mean that a woman is menopausal because she still has her ovaries so ovaries do a lot of good things including making estrogen and which is good for your bones your brain your heart etc and so we'll there's been a big push now to leave ovaries in place if we can, if there's no other reason to remove them because that helps decrease the risk of osteoporosis. Yeah, absolutely. So why would, uh, what are some typical reasons that patients would come to you for a hysterectomy? I think probably the number one reason that I see folks and that we you know, decide on surgery is the right next step um, is probably heavy bleeding. You know, folks that have tried different hormonal pills or non-hormonal pills to, to slow or, or decrease their bleeding. Um, they've tried things like IUDs, um, which, you know, is a, can be a fantastic option for some folks. Um, IUDs, uh, a lot of people are, are not aware that one of the IUDs in particular that has a progesterone in it is actually FDA approved both to prevent pregnancy as well as to decrease heavy bleeding. Um, and it's a simple office procedure and, you know, it decreases, uh, bleeding to a point that people are satisfied like 80% of the time. So it's a really, really significant, um, benefit, but 
you know, 80% is not a hundred. And so there are certainly folks that try these different things and they're, they've kind of, you know, exhausted all their options and they say, look, um, we got to do something else. Cause you know, I can't, I can't go on, you know, uh, dealing with all these, uh, symptoms. So, uh, that's probably the number one thing. Some folks have uh, big fibroids, which are a benign tumor. It's kind of this growth that, uh, is super common in the uterus. And they can provide lots of pelvic symptoms like bulk and difficulty, you know, emptying your bladder, or moving your bowels. Um, that's another big reason to do a hysterectomy. Pain, to some extent, can also kind of overlie with some of these things, um, but pain's complicated. And, you know, I, I'm the first to admit to folks that pain is one of the things in medicine we wish we knew more about and we wish we understood better. Um, surgery is not always the right option for pain, um, but sometimes there can be kind of a little overlay as far as symptoms go with. Um, some of the other uh, issues that happen in the pelvis. Yeah, I think that's a really good point is that because, you know, pelvic pain is really common and we sometimes surgery can even make the situation worse depending on why you're having the pain. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's a really, really important um, point that pain is, is so complex that, you know, anytime we do surgery, we're cutting on things. And one of the things that's disrupted is nerves and nerves, you know, send pain signals to the brain. And so, uh, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to stomach that, but it's true that sometimes we do things that actually, you know, cause people pain, uh, that can be long lasting. So who would you say is not a good candidate for a hysterectomy? Like what are the most common, what's like a clinical picture of someone you would say, okay, this is, uh, not the right choice or we should do this first. I think, I think folks who, um, maybe are, are really frustrated with the symptoms they are having, um, but they haven't, um, uh, tried something else first. Um, I think that's probably the number one thing where, you know, you've got somebody who's sick and tired of having the periods they're having and they know they're not going to have any more children or they're known they're not going to have any children period. Um, and they say, just take it out doc. Just, you know, I don't need it. Just take it out. Um, and you know, I totally, totally understand that sentiment, but surgery, uh, you know, you and I both do surgery. I think that's, we like that part of our jobs, but you want to make sure you're doing the right surgery for the right person. And sometimes that means making sure that you can't solve their problems with something simpler and that has less risk. Uh, so something like a, a medicine or an IUD or something like that can be really helpful, can turn people's lives around um, and spare them the risk of going under general anesthesia and uh, the, the recovery time and things like that. And even though, and you know, we can, you know, laparoscopic surgery is way, way better from a recovery standpoint than open surgery or kind of the bigger incisions that we uh, used to make more often, but even still there's risks and there's recovery and time out of work and stuff like that. I feel like IUDs get a really bad rap and they can be really, really helpful. Not only from, like you said, a contraceptive standpoint. So they are really effective at preventing unwanted pregnancies, like as effective as having your tubes tied, but they make the lining of the endometrium um, I mean, the lining of the uterus, which is called the endometrium, really, really thin. And so most women stop having periods. And it's not because you're like not bleeding and the, the endometrium is like building up somewhere else. Cause that's what I feel like some patients have asked me that, and which is like a logical assumption, but it actually just makes the endometrium so thin that you don't need to have a period because you actually physiologically newsflash don't need to have a period. <laughs> yeah, that's, I honestly, I've, um, I wish that we could like put billboards up that say, you know, <laughs> it's not necessary. It's okay. Um, and I talk to patients about that too. Um, you know, if, if you're not having a period because, 
uh, of other health issues or stuff like that, sometimes there are real world things that we need to address or, or treat because that could be dangerous. But if you're not having a period because we're giving you something to stop it, it's totally safe. And, and you could go years without a period and it's like not a problem at all. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So you talked a little bit about laparoscopic hysterectomy. So tell us, what do you mean when you say minimally invasive and what kind of options do you have for patients who are interested in those options? Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the kind of original forms of, you know, minimally invasive surgery is, is, um, what we call a vaginal hysterectomy where, uh, there are no incisions in the belly and we actually remove the uterus and the cervix through the vagina. And that is a great option for some folks. Um, it's not right for everybody. And, you know, certain folks who have, you know, really large uterus, or they have kind of a lot of pain that goes along with it, or history of endometriosis, or they've had surgeries in their belly, like they've had their appendix removed, or they've had a C-section or something like that. Um, that's a little bit less safe. And so then we move to something like a laparoscopic surgery. Uh, and the laparoscopic and robotic surgery, there's a lot of overlap. And there's a lot of kind of people hear about those things, maybe kind of in passing, but they're really, really cool technology that allows us to make little incisions. They're about the width of like, you know, your finger or like a, a pen and between four, between three and five incisions on your belly, usually one of them is kind of hidden in the belly button. And then the other ones are kind of on the sides of your belly. Um, and we can do all this surgery with kind of fiber optic, fiber optic screens and cameras and these long instruments that fit through these, those little incisions. And we can basically accomplish the same thing that used to require a big C-section type incision or even a big up and down incision on your belly. Um, and that has huge implications for patients. I mean, it's, it's so fantastic to see uh, my patients even later in the day, later, later in the day. Um, I've got folks that are able to go home the same day um, after having a hysterectomy that, you know, in a previous generation, they might stay in the hospital for like four or five days. And it's, it's so great to see how pleased they are with how well they feel and the impact that that surgery has on their life with relatively, you know, minimal, um, downtime, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. I think being able to go home on the same day of surgery safely is also huge in the setting of the pandemic, right? Absolutely. And, you know, uh, the way I, you know, I, I don't want folks to get kind of too tied up on, you know, whether it's the same day or the next day, because you really, it, it comes out to kind of the number of hours that you are after surgery. So you have surgery in the afternoon, certainly you might need to spend the night, and, you know, go home in the morning. But, um, you know, if you have surgery done in the morning and you're out of the OR by, let's say, you know, 930, something like that, by, you know, late afternoon or, or dinner time, most folks are feeling well enough to, you know, go home. They're taking some oral pain medicine. Most of the pain is controlled with just Tylenol and ibuprofen with just very minimal, you know, narcotic use, which is another big, you know, um, that the previous pandemic that we were fighting was, you know, the, the issue with opiates. And, and I know that's a big, that's a big issue in your world. And, and you've done like awesome research. I like tell all my friends about like this, this cool Dr. Rojas, who has done all this cool publications and research. Um, but it's, I mean, we can limit that use of those really dangerous and, and potentially addictive meds with the different type of surgery that we choose. And that's, that's pretty huge. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Goulet, flattery will get you everywhere and <laughs> a favorable podcast uh, video. <laughs> you know, we know each other quite well and I uh, am aware of that. 
question. Uh, what's the deal with a robotic hysterectomy? How is robotic different from regular laparoscopy? Like what happens in the OR and tell us, tell patients about what's special about the robot. You know, we were talking about words that are confusing and like partial hysterectomy is confusing. Robotic surgery is really confusing too, because it sounds like some like robot's going to like walk in and do your surgery on its own, which is not at all the case, but it's basically a very advanced computer system um, that coordinates with this kind of uh, surgeon controlled console. So it's not like, you know, I'm across town or something like that, uh, still in the room doing surgery. Um, but it allows you to use even more advanced kind of visualization. So it actually is, is a 3d, 3d video. So you can have depth perception, kind of like watching a, you know, 3d IMAX basically, in addition to instruments that have multiple different kind of motions that you can make them do. And in addition to that, you can, um, eliminate like fine motor, um, tremors and things like that. So all of us, even the most like, you know, still handed person in the world has, you know, maybe a little bit of a motion in their hand or something like that when they're pointing at something. And because these computer systems are so advanced, they can actually take that out and make completely smooth everything. They can use, um, make the instruments instead of kind of just course, I'm going to look like a robot here, but instead of just opening your hands this way, they can, they can introduce kind of a wristed motion, which is really cool. Um, and, and just little things like that can make you so much more effective as a surgeon and, and make it more beneficial for the patient. Yeah. You actually just reminded me of when I told Jorge, I tried to explain what a robotic <laughs> surgery was and what happens. And he Googled it and there's like a video of the robot, like peeling a grape. Yeah. So he always refers to robotic surgery as peeling the grapes now. <laughs> it's like grape surgery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. So the patient goes to the operating room, they go asleep, they're, they're put to sleep um, with uh, anesthesia, and then you move the big, ro the big um, like, I don't say robot, but it doesn't really look like a robot, like you we, said. We call it a robot, but it's exactly. It is, um, it's this large kind of instrument holding device um, that moves the uh, instruments in concert with or because I'm moving kind of these um, hand pieces, basically. So the robot does exactly what I tell it to do. Yeah. So they come in with the arms around and you put the trocars and the arms in the belly. And then you're in the room, like you said, but you're not actually scrubbed. You're sitting at like basically a video game console and you have your hands in the thing and you're going like this and it's changing the uh, motions of the arms inside the robot. Exactly. The yep. yep. And, and you have another uh, either assistant or another physician with you at the bedside that can kind of, um, you know, hand you things or move things in and out um, through another uh, instrument site. The, the great thing about, you know, robotic surgery is that it allows us to do more surgeries through that minimally invasive means. So through those small little incisions um, than we would otherwise. So folks who have had multiple previous surgeries or have really large, you know, fibroids and uteruses or have really, really advanced endometriosis. Whereas, you know, maybe 20 years ago, all of those surgeries would have been done through big incisions, multiple days in the hospital. We can still use those small incisions, get them out the same day or the next day. Um, decrease the amount of time that they spend uh, taking pain medicine, decrease their risk of infections and of having issues with their incisions and um, kind of get them back to their life that much faster. Yeah. And so you 
um, still take the uterus out through the vagina though, right? Like you keep these tiny little holes, you basically release the uterus from all of its attachments and then it comes through the vagina. Yep. Is that exactly. right? Yep. Yeah. So what kind of complications do you warn patients about with the hysterectomy? Like, um, what do you want them to watch out for if they or a loved one has a hysterectomy? Yeah. So, you know, the, the biggest risks, anytime we do surgery, um, there's a risk of bleeding because we're, you know, making incisions and we're operating around blood vessels. Um, there's a risk of an infection we talked about. And fortunately, um, those risks are decreased when you are able to use these smaller incisions or, you know, minimally invasive surgery. Um, and so we want people to look out for feeling generally unwell, you know, are they having a fever, do they feel um, lethargic, are they developing nausea, vomiting, things like that. Um, are they um, feeling lightheaded or dizzy and, you know, having a difficult time standing up. Um, and then they, we want them to keep an eye on kind of how their incisions are looking. Is there redness, things like that. There's also the risk anytime we're operating, you know, inside the abdomen um, of damage to other, you know, organs in the area, your intestines are in there, your bladder is, you know, down in the pelvis. And so, you know, we certainly want to make sure that folks are emptying their bladder normally, that they're not having blood in their urine and stuff like that. And a little bit of that, you know, sometimes you will have a little irritation because during surgery, you have to have a, a catheter, a tube that goes into your bladder and drains your bladder to keep it empty during surgery. And that can be a little irritating. You know, it's honestly, it's one of the things that patients tell me the most is that just that sensation of having a bladder in and, or having, excuse me, a, a tube in their bladder, waking up with that is like one of the biggest points of discomfort. And once we're able to get that out, once we're able to get them kind of peeing on their own, um, oftentimes folks feel better, but you know, we, we think about all the different things that we've done to a patient while they're in the operating room. Um, and, and what the potential issues that could up, could come up because of those things. Yeah. So pain, not controlled with oral medications, fever, not going to the bathroom normally, maybe like back pain and then fainting or feeling weak and just not feeling well, let's say summarize it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the, the risks of those things, the risk of some sort of complication after major surgery, like hysterectomy, typically, you know, in the single digits, you're talking about, you know, maybe a one to 5% risk of those things. It depends on a little bit on the population and depends a little bit on um, the, the indication why you're doing the surgery. Um, so it's a relatively small number, but it's not zero. And so we certainly want to have a good close, you know, relationship communication with the patients to make sure that they report anything that seems a little off and we can you know, follow up if we need to. Yeah. So I think those are all my questions about hysterectomies. Is there any other thing that you can think of that patients may want to know about um, what common questions they ask you? Or I was going to say, maybe you can clarify for patients when they still need a pap smear and when they don't, because that might be confusing for some. And then Absolutely. also that's, say whatever you were going to say. Yeah, that's definitely a big thing. So if we remove, if we do what's called a total hysterectomy, remove the uterus and the cervix, um, what we do during a pap smear is test the cells on the cervix. So if you don't have a cervix anymore and you've never had major issues with your pap smear, meaning you've never had cervical cancer, you've never had a procedure to remove part of the cervix, like a leap procedure or a cone biopsy, you've never had what's called high grade cervical dysplasia or high grade abnormalities, you never have to have a pap smear the rest of your life. And some folks, you know, it's, it's not a reason to do a hysterectomy, but it's a nice little kind of uh, side benefit. 
The other uh, thing that comes up a lot is people ask about, you know, what will sex be like after hysterectomy? And, you know, that's a, it's a really important thing because obviously intimacy and, and sex are important issues um, in people's lives. And, you know, people kind of think about, well, if the cervix is removed, is that going to like change the way sex feels or change, um, you know, enjoyment with sex, those sorts of things. And fortunately, we have actually pretty good data that shows that um, that's not the case. That if we remove the uterus and the cervix, the kind of the sutures that get placed at the top of the vagina, the, the vagina kind of maintains its normal size, normal length, all that kind of stuff. And that long term, like after you make it through that initial healing phase, there's no big impacts on sex. Um, you know, we're not removing the ovaries most of the time, like we mentioned. And so your body still has the normal amounts of estrogen. So those tissues are still kind of uh, just the same way they were before the hysterectomy. And um, it doesn't really have an impact on you know, lubrication or things like that. So, you know, folks um, have typically a pretty normal uh, sex life after hysterectomy. Yeah, you would say the thing we tell patients, though, is to wait until you see that doctor and get clearance from your doctor before you start having sex again after hysterectomy, right? 100%. Absolutely. And that's probably the, the, you know, we talked a little bit about complications. One of the big things that we think about is, you know, making sure that all the incisions heal and the incisions you see on your belly, you can see those relatively easily, but there is an incision at the top of the vagina that has to heal up uh, really well before you have anything inside the vagina, including sex. And um, typically that time frame is somewhere in the six to eight week mark, but it's really important that you talk with your doc uh, to make sure that, you know, everything's looking normal. Okay. That's perfect. I think that is really helpful information for everyone who's thinking of having a hysterectomy. You know, I feel like everyone's mom has had a hysterectomy. Like I feel like they were just taking uteruses out left and right in the day. Don't you think so too? A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's understandable maybe in some ways because they just maybe didn't have as uh, many different options as we have now um, with things like IUDs that can be so incredibly helpful for so many of the symptoms that we used to do hysterectomies for. Um, but it's great to know, I think it's great for people to know that you know, it is still an option and it's still something that um, we as gynecologists can uh, provide a great service for folks and can can really make an impact on, on their lives. That's exactly right. Okay, I think that's all that we're gonna learn about hysterectomies today, especially minimally invasive hysterectomies. So if you are in the Pacific Northwest and you want to see an excellent minimally invasive gynecologist, you can go see Dr. Denny Goulet. I have personally witnessed his surgical skills and he gets my stamp of approval. So you can, everyone can go check him out. Also, oh, I remember. So everyone that's been on my podcast, Lena, Jenna, Mina, Denny, I mean, no, you are Denny, Desmond has to tell me their, one of their favorite memories from residency and I have to obviously be involved. So what's yours? <laughs> well, I, I don't know how you could possibly not be in my favorite memories from residency, <laughs> Kristen. We, uh, we had a ton of fun. I mean, we worked really, really hard in residency, um, long hours and definitely some, you know, uh, emotional times, but we did have some fun too. And um, we had the great opportunity for one of your birthdays to celebrate on a sailboat. Um, your wonderful husband, Jorge, who's like, He's like my spirit animal. He like has my dream job, I think, as a, as a sailboat captain. 
arranged for us to go out on a sailboat and watch part of the America's Cup from the water and celebrate Dr. Kristen Rojas's birthday with a cake and a whole nine yards out uh, in the Newport, Rhode Island area. That was a, that was a total blast. That was a really fun day. Yeah, I agree. I thought you were going to talk about my 30th birthday. At the top that, that, was that. Another, that was another epic birthday. But it will keep a little bit of mystery for uh, your podcast uh, listeners and, and viewers um, about that one. But that was also just epic. I actually saw those pictures the other day and I had worn a white wig and you also had the white wig on at some point. I was going to say some that. of us, some of us have less hair. We're more, uh, more appropriate to be wearing wigs these days. Okay. That um, I've forgotten about. Yeah. I've forgotten about the boat birthday. That's great. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Goulet. I am so happy to see you. I feel like I obviously don't ever get to talk to you anymore and hopefully I can get your brilliant and wonderful wife, Dr. Delaney, on this podcast to talk about another women's health topic in the near future. And hopefully you come visit us soon. Sounds great. I, this was an absolute blast. Um, we'll definitely make sure that uh, Delaney gets on and um, miss you guys and can't wait to see you in, in real life soon. Yes. Thank you so much, Denny. Bye, everyone. Stay safe. Bye-bye. As a reminder, all information, content, material for this website and podcast is for informational purposes only. It's not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, or medical treatment of a qualified physician or your own healthcare provider. The information contained in this podcast is not intended to recommend the self-management of health problems or wellness. It's not intended to endorse or recommend any particular type of medical treatment. And should you, the listener, have any healthcare-related questions specific to your own pregnancy or gynecologic health, promptly call or consult your physician or your own healthcare provider. I have no relevant financial conflicts of interest to disclose, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Kristen Rojas MD. That's at K-R-I-S-T-I-N-R-O-J-A-S-M-D. For any questions or comments, you can email me at realwomenshealth at gmail.com. Don't forget to like or rate our podcast and share it with your friends. Stay safe, everyone.